And um, this is a very appropriate time because of the playoffs that are starting this next week. So here's why this fan quit going to football games. Every time I went to the stadium, someone always asked for money. He quit football because uh, although I went to the stadium often, no one ever spoke to me. You can relate this perhaps to some things you've heard about church. I quit going to football games because I was a good fan, but the coach never came to call on me. I quit going to football games because the seats were too hard. With all the money they had, one would think they could provide more comfortable seats. I quit going because the referee made decisions I couldn't agree with. I quit going because I suspected I was sitting with people who were hypocrites. They seemed more interested in soda pop and popcorn than they were in the game. I quit because I'm not about to sit two or three hours during all those timeouts and delays and run the risks of getting out late. The organ always played the same tunes. I could find better music elsewhere, and sometimes they played tunes I had never heard. I quit going because the game always comes up at the very time I have a trip planned or must visit grandma's or catch up on my sleep. And besides, I was often forced to attend games when I was growing up. I quit going because all a, a, a lot of people go for is to see what somebody else is wearing. I will not sit by somebody dressed better than I. Even the players have new uniforms every season, and it's a big waste of money. I quit because since buying a book on football, I stay home to read it or watch the game on TV. And finally, I quit because the enthusiasm of the crowd is excessive. People should be more restrained and sober. I can't stand fanatical fans. <laughs> ah, yes. Life is interesting, and the work of God is interesting and exciting, and I hope you'll be a part of it. Tonight, the children's department of our church presents a very exciting Christmas program. It's at 6 o'clock. I hope you'll be a part of that. This morning, we interrupt our series on uh, How Can I?, to bring you a Christmas message which we have titled God's Way of Communicating with Mankind. Jesus Christ is, of course, the center of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have read this morning from the Gospel of John because he was an eyewitness of the accounts, the incidents, the miracles, and the details of Jesus' life. John was the youngest of the apostles and lived the longest. He's the same John that wrote the letters that we read from this morning and the book of Revelation. He emphasized the person and work of Jesus more than the miracles or the externals that pertain to Jesus' life and ministry, and that's why we've chosen his writings for our service today. He emphasized the person and the work of Jesus. I think if I could sum it up in a sentence, I would say that John seems to see the spiritual nature of Jesus. And that's what I like about the way he writes. The living expression of God was what John saw. 
And as you begin to read the first chapter of the Gospel of St. John, you will see that, that he is the creator and the source of all life. There was not anything made that was made without him. He was in the beginning with God, and in fact, he was God, the expression totally of God. We learn from reading John that eternal life is ours through the life that was expressed in Jesus. Without daily contact with Jesus, we are without life. That's what we learn by reading these writings of John. We are spiritually dead without that acquaintanceship with Jesus Christ. We read in John 10.10 that he came to give us life and life more abundant. We learn that from the eyewitness account of John, the beloved disciple. If you were God, how would you get through to mankind? That could be a question we should ask at the beginning of our message. If you were God, how would you communicate with man? Can you think of a better way than the way God did it through Jesus Christ? I doubt that anybody could come up with a better plan. A living person, yet a unique person, a holy, sinless spotless person coming in flesh, walking around like a person, telling people the truth about God. That's what happened in the incarnation, the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. I want to talk about three things that I think John emphasizes in his writings, not only in the Gospel of John, but the epistles of John. The first is that Jesus Christ is the revelation of the Word, capital W. The Bible gives Jesus many names and titles. In fact, there are over 200 of them in the Scriptures. Each one of those titles and names expresses something about the character and the ministry of Jesus. For example, the word Lord speaks of our relationship to him under the new covenant. He is our Lord. The name Jesus, as we heard sung today, is an expression of his ability to save, the ministry of salvation. Call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. The word Christ means the anointed one sent from God, a unique anointing in that name, Christ. We read of him as the Lamb of God, the Lamb speaking of his sacrifice upon the cross. He became an offering for us. He was nailed to the cross for me. He was nailed to the cross for me, a Lamb of sacrifice for all men. We read of his name being Emmanuel, which means God with us the uniqueness of the Incarnation. We read of him as the Good Shepherd, the Door, the Way, the True Bread of Life, the True Vine. All of these show the many-sided character of the Son of God. But the first of all of his titles 
is in the first chapter of John. He is the Word, the revelation of the Word. I would have to ask why would this title be the first one mentioned in the Gospel of John? I believe the answer is that words are intended to convey thoughts and meaning to another person. It's the way of communication. No pantomime or going through the motions can give a full expression of thought or idea and the desires of a person. As unique as pantomime is, it cannot do what words can do. So, when God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit meant or met in conference to decide how to communicate to man, they came up with the idea of the Word, the revelation of God, Jesus Christ being that Word, the full expression of the mind and the heart of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the beginning with God. He is referred to in the Bible as the only begotten Son of God. This refers to a unique and special relationship, a relationship that only Jesus Christ has and will always have with the Father, continuous from eternity to eternity, the only begotten because he's one of a kind. There can never be another one like him. He is the Word of God, the expression of God, therefore the only begotten, the only one of a kind. And that's what John 3.16 expresses so, beautiful, so beautifully. Alpha and Omega in the Revelation, the beginning and the ending. He's not only in the beginning, he's in the ending. Go as far back as you can, he's there. Go as far into the future as you would like, and he is there. He is unique in that he is the total expression of God to the world. In the Old Testament, the reference appears again and again to the angel of the Lord. Some ancient Jewish commentators describe this angel in this term, the word of the Lord. And that is in many instances an appropriate translation of the angel of the Lord. God spoke to Moses in Exodus 23 about this angel. And he said, the name of the Lord is in him. In Genesis 32, Jacob identifies this angel with God himself and calls the place Bethel, which means the face of God. Go as far back as you can. He's there. This mysterious angel is none other than the Son of God over and over again in the Scripture and the coming Savior to the world. So this word is to be revealed not only in the beginning, not only through the prophets, not only through the nation of Israel, not only in the Gospels, not only in the Revelation, but He is to be revealed in us. And that's where this term Word becomes so significant. In verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Holy Spirit 
will reveal Christ in us. And then we become an expression of God in the world. And that's what's so lacking, it seems, that we are not an expression of God enough to the world, but now Jesus wants to become such as that word becomes a part of us and begins to speak to mankind. Michelangelo used to say of the chippings which fell as he chipped away at the marble, as it lay there on the floor of his studio, he would say, while the marble wastes, the image grows. And I think that is an expression I want to convey to you today, that the Holy Spirit chips on all of us. He chips away that which is not an expression of God. That's why we feel in church many times uncomfortable. And we'd like the service to end because it's the Holy Spirit chipping away at those areas of our lives that are not expressions of God to the world. If in him was life and the life was the light of men, then we have to be a worthy expression. So chip away, O Holy Spirit, should be our prayer and our cry, our desire. It's what the world needs to see. I have been on several occasions to the Garden Grove Community Church, Dr. Robert Schuler's church, and I appreciate the ministry of men like Dr. Schuler who touch a segment of the population that perhaps I could not touch through our ministry here at Capital Christian Center. And I've become acquainted with not only Dr. Schuler, but some of his staff members, Wilbert Eichenberger, who was a businessman in the state of Oregon, whom I knew years before in the Northwest, came to Dr. Schuler's staff as the leader of the Institute for Successful Church Leadership. And uh, from a very successful lumber business to a staff of a large church is indeed a unique move. But Brother Eichenberger is doing a fantastic job. One day, Wilbert received a call from a very successful businessman in a nationally known firm whose national headquarters happened to be in the Los Angeles area. This very successful businessman had been in conversation with his most productive and most consistent sales executive in this entire national organization. That president of the corporation asked this sales executive who was so successful in leading the nation in sales, what's your secret? What makes you different from other men? And this man replied very simply, Well, I believe, sir, the difference is that I belong to Garden Grove Community Church. His boss replied, Well, what's the Garden Grove Community Church? That devoted member said, it's a church where I go every week, where we really get an enthusiastic, positive thinking treatment, and we find Christ, which makes the difference. Here on the phone was this business head talking to Wilbert Eichenberger and asking him whether or not he could get some more members of the Garden Grove Community Church to hire in his company. That was the bottom line of the conversation. 
I have been so impressed with this man that I want to know if there are more like him in your organization that I can hire. Now, friends, that is what I'm talking about when I say the expression of God in the world. We are God's words now as Christ comes to be a part of us. The world in us sees Christ, the Word, who became flesh and walked those Judean hills for a brief period of history. But now he translates himself through us. The young people become queens of certain events and winners of scholarships. And businessmen rise to the top of their company. And women serve in agencies and and become outstanding citizens and housewives because the Word is communicating through them to this world. I get excited about that. When I come here on Sunday morning and see the hundreds that come to worship and think of what can happen from Monday through Saturday out in this world as the Word becomes a part of all of us, an expression of God to this community. Oh, what power lies in this fellowship today. The revelation of the Word. I see people getting enthusiastic as they get a hold of this. It's not only at Christmas time, but 365 days a year. They find in him was life. And the life was the light of men, and they literally turn on like a Christmas tree. They become excitable people. And I'm trying to stand up under the excitement of changed lives as I see it from day to day. People that pour through our office day by day with smiles on their faces, beaming looks in their eyes. And they tell me as we pass in the hallway or as we visit in the office or we get an opportunity to chat over coffee how Jesus Christ has changed them, brought their marriage together, made them a success in their work, made their children to walk in the ways of God and brought them out of drugs and degradation, the Word becoming flesh and walking the pathways of this world. I'm trying to hold myself down as I see that happening in our day. Hallelujah. If it hasn't happened in you, let it happen. The Word becomes flesh. I read a story of an Irishman who had a weak heart. His family got the news before this Irishman that he had won 50,000 pounds in the Irish sweepstakes. When they heard that, they were faced with a problem. How can we tell him so that he doesn't get a heart attack because his heart was very, very bad? So they came up with a way. They decided to call their pastor. So they said to the pastor, will you break the news to him gently? So the pastor met with this Irishman who had won this 50,000 pounds, and he began this way. He said, John, what would you do if you found out that you had won 50,000 pounds? And John said, why, pastor, I'd give it all to the church, and the pastor fell dead on the spot.
Well, that's sort of an expression from me to you of how I'm feeling here at Christmas time as I see what God is doing in the lives of people. I think, well, I've heard it all now. And then there is another story. There's another miracle. There's another transformation. There's another victory. There's another breakthrough. And I'll tell you, it is an exciting, exhilarating, marvelous experience to be looking from where I'm looking at the miracles of God in the lives of people. God is a miracle worker. He performed a miracle when Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem and became the Word and walked the hills of Judea and ministered to the people. And He is a miracle performer day by day. As in us, the Word becomes an expression to the world. I am excited from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. As we move into a new year, I just wonder how greater, how much greater the expression can be as we catch hold of this revelation of the Word. We are bodies, our bodies are temples of the Lord. They are the dwelling place or the residency of God Almighty. And we become an expression of Him to mankind. That's powerful. And I challenge you to become such an expression. The second thing that I see John writing about is a sad part, and it's seen in verse 5. And I would call it the rejection of the Word. We have the revelation of the Word, but my heart gets heavy as I see the rejection of the Word. And the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Now, how could that be? When a light shines in the darkness, how could it be that the darkness would not take it in? That the darkness would not be affected by that light that is shining. But that's exactly the approach of John in this story. The light shined, but the darkness did not take it in. This expresses, of course, the conflict between the light of Christ and the darkness of sin and ignorance that is in the world. The darkness will not grasp, will not seize or conquer the light that comes through the living word. The living word, the expression of God, has always triumphed. It has always been victorious, and someday darkness itself will be expelled. But what John is saying here, that it is possible when this word is manifest, which is the light of the world, that there would be hearts and minds that would not comprehend it, that would not take it in, that would not endeavor to make it a part of their life. And if that be you today, whether you're here or watching us by television or listening by radio, I want you to know you can today experience a penetration of the darkness if you will but take a moment to say, Jesus, light of the world, come into my comprehension, come into my area of living, dispel the darkness and the despair and become a part of my life. It can happen, but it will only happen by individual choice.
So governments make edicts and rulings against the light. But even where those edicts and rulings are made, people on an individual basis decide they would rather have the light than they would the darkness. So the darkness is penetrated where the word is received. But how sad it is to see how many reject the light, reject the word, even the Jews themselves. In verse 11, rejected the light. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. I was thinking the other day of Bishop Pike, the Episcopalian bishop, who fell on hard times, went to the Holy Land to discredit the living word and the written word, went out into the desert, and he was going to write things against the traditional faith that has been ours in the church for years, and he perished in the desert, never got out of the desert. His car became stuck in sand, and he never got out. He died in the desert trying to disprove or discredit the word or the light that John spoke about by divine revelation hundreds of years ago. How tragic to try to dispel that light, to put down that light, to reject that light when it is so obvious that we need the light. When it's the only thing that will give us hope for the future. I wonder where you are today. If your mind and your heart has been turned against God, remember what verse 5 said. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness would not take it in. The light is shining. You see it in the faces and the lives of people in this building today. You have seen it in the expression of others. You have felt it as the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. Now you must receive it by faith. I heard on the radio yesterday an interview with a young lady from Sacramento State and she was speaking about how she could not accept anything. She could not reach out and touch. She could not feel. Well, my friend, if you are going to do that with all of life, then what about many things that we never, never can reach out and touch and feel, and yet we accept as a part of life? We use them, and they bless us, and yet we never can reach out and tangibly touch them, but they are there all the time. Gravity is one of them. I'm on the ground today. I'm not floating around up here on the ceiling trying to talk to you today because of gravity. I've never seen gravity. I've never been able to reach out and touch gravity, but I enjoy gravity. Keeps my feet on the ground and my car on the highway. How foolish of us to say, I can't receive Christ because I've never seen him and I've never touched him. The word is faith. And he's brought light into our darkness. He's brought light where there was no light. Don't reject the word. And the third R of our message is the reception of the word. Though the Jews rejected their Messiah, the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, he appeared to the Gentiles and gave them a right to become the sons of God. 
They were born of God, not by intermarriage with the Jews or of any human ancestry, but by the Spirit. And that's what excites me further about this thing of the Word, the expression of God. You don't get it by marriage. You don't get it by ancestry. You don't get this light, this manifestation, this Christmas gift of God to the world because of where you live or how nice you look. It's by receiving him. 1 John 1, 3, which we read a few moments ago together, declares that we have seen him and heard him. Well, how could that be? It is because of what I've been saying to you today. We see him and we hear him as he manifests himself in so many ways to the world. He's not a figment of somebody's imagination or a fictional character. John wrote out of personal experience. He had seen him. He had talked with him. He had known him. He had been with him for some of those three years of his ministry before he was crucified. He saw the crowds that came and heard him, and he then translated his message through this gospel that we have read from and the epistle that he wrote later on. The expression of God was Jesus Christ, and John opened up his heart, and John received him personally, and he wrote in verse 12, which is the capstone of all of these verses that we have read today, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to be the children of God. You don't have to be of a certain race or a certain ancestry. As many as received him, to them gave he the power. Let me close with this illustration that I've heard Billy Graham relate. It is about a Hindu man who stopped one time examining a full hill of ants. And have you ever done that? I've done that. They're most interesting creatures. This Hindu was educated, and as he stooped over that ant hill, his shadow frightened those ants, and they scurried in all directions. He watched them just move rapidly away from his shadow. He was a man of sympathetic nature, and he, he stood there and said to himself, I wish I could talk to those tiny people and tell them I would not hurt them. Then the thought came to him, I could not talk with them even if they possessed intelligence and had a language that I could learn. My thoughts are not their thoughts. My experiences are incomprehensible to them. His imagination drifted on, if I could become one of them while retaining my personality and my self-consciousness, then living in terms of their life, I could really communicate with them, and they could understand at least something of my thoughts. Suddenly, the thought flashed through his mind. That is exactly what these Christian teachers have been telling us about God. He became man in order that he might reveal himself to us and save us. The thought was enough to cause the Hindu to seek and find Christ as his personal Savior. Same analogy. How can I communicate with man walking around down there on earth? I know. I will go down take on their form. This will be my way of communicating with mankind. I will walk with them. I will touch them. 
I will heal their sick and raise their dead and I will speak words of hope and life and comfort to them and then I will die for their sins so that there will never need to be another sacrifice for their sins and I will be raised from the dead and I will arise back to the eternal throne and I will send messengers to communicate this divine life to them. That's how I'll do it. I will become an expression of them by being one of them and he did it and in our gigantic anthill he came moving among us reaching out to touch us and to say don't waste your life and your substance seeking life and hope and light and all of these other things come by faith to a cradle in Bethlehem Come by faith to a cross in Jerusalem. Come by faith to an empty tomb and see he is not dead. He is alive and is ascended to the right hand of the Father. The expression of God that he speaks through his word, his life, his death, his resurrection to the ills and the hurts of all of us. Christmas is that expression. Isn't it unique that even though men have tried for all of these centuries to get rid of the idea of Christ, that all over the world this week, Christmas will be celebrated. That must bug the communists. It must bug the atheists. That's why they want to get rid of all of the nativity scenes. That's why they want to rub out of our existence all of those things that seem to say something about God and reality and faith. They want to get rid of the view of it, but they will never do it because we have become now the expression of the Word as we have taken Him into our hearts and into our lives. And I doubt they could ever silence all of us. They try to squash us here and we jump up over here even stronger than before. Hallelujah. China could tell you of that today. They've tried to stamp the church out, but it's bigger and broader than ever today. Friend, have you received God's communication? Christmas would be a travesty if you give gifts and receive gifts without really having the gift in your life. Receive him today. It is God's way of communicating with you. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let your search end today in the person of Jesus, the Word of God. Shall we bow in prayer? Our Father, we thank you this morning for the excitement that fills the air here at Capital Christian Center as people of all ages and walks and backgrounds are moving into an experience of faith. They're finding Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. Oh, hallelujah. It's wonderful to see. And on this Christmas Sunday, Father, I'm asking that it will happen again and again. Men who have tried to run their lives without Jesus will today say, I need the light. Women who have tried to take care of life without the person of Jesus, will today say, I need the light. Young people, boys and girls, will say, I need the light. 
and will come into a relationship with the Word and then become His expression to man. Holy Spirit, touch all of us together and especially those who need to make that decision in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, as is my practice...